The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. We have Karen joining us from the glamour of a supermarket car park in northwest London, Acton, to be precise. Steve will be with us from his home office, the hub of where all important business gets done. And of course, I'm here in the London studio. You're watching Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. China Evergrande shares are suspended in Hong Kong as a mainland media outlet reports that Hobson Development will take a majority stake in its property arm for $5.1 billion. US private equity group CDNR is set to snap up UK grocer Morrisons for almost £10 billion, including debt. With reports, it's also lining up former Tesco CEO Sir Terry Leahy as chairman. CNBC sources say US Trade Representative Catherine Tai will announce today that China is not complying with the phase one deal reached under the Trump administration in a move likely to ratchet up tensions between the two countries. Elsewhere, the UK Army will begin delivering petrol from today in a bid to ease the fuel crisis, as the Prime Minister Boris Johnson vows he won't soften immigration rules in a bid to ease supply chain issues. What we can't do is, uh, in all these sectors, simply uh, go back to the tired, failed old model, uh, reach for the lever, called uncontrolled immigration. And the biggest leak of offshore documents lifts the lid on how some world leaders and politicians have used tax havens to manage their wealth and acquire properties around the world. A very warm welcome. Let's kick off with this uh, Chinese story. Shares in Evergrande and its property management business are suspended from trade today. The Chinese group says trading was halted ahead of an announcement on a major transaction. The uh, picture, as far as this uh, Evergrande story is concerned, is uh, fascinating. The Asian market story at the moment, as you can see here, we have uh, the Hang Seng index uh, off uh, 1.98%, the Nikkei 225 uh, down about uh, four-tenths of uh, 1% at this stage. The uh, Australian market, the only one on our board effectively that is in positive territory and worth just pointing out to you that mainland Chinese markets are effectively closed all week. So let's just get an update on what we know about this Evergrande story. Emily joins us now from Hong Kong. And Emily, do we have a whiff of ultimately why the shares have been suspended today? What comes next? Hi there, Jeff. A very good morning to you. Uh, Hong Kong here coming back after a long weekend and playing catch up. And we're seeing a lot of weakness in the broader markets. Uh, we're watching developments over at Evergrande. Uh, shares were not traded today. 
Evergrande, as well as Evergrande Property Services, suspended from trade. And then we also learned that Hobson Development also suspended from trade before the market opened at 9 o'clock Hong Kong time. Uh, what we're hearing of both of these companies uh, issuing statements to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, Evergrande re- requesting a halt pending the announcement containing inside information about a major transaction over at its property services unit, an announcement on possible general offer for shares of the company. Now, all along in the past couple of weeks, as we've been watching shares of Evergrande and covering this company, we know that it's been trying to sell some of its units to make back some money. Uh, Property services, its NEV unit, even its Hong Kong headquarters. Now, over at Hobson Development, we're seeing reports from mainland media, uh, Thai Lian Media, as well as uh, Global Times now, reporting that Hobson Development is going to be acquiring a 51% stake in Evergrande Services for $5.1 billion. Hobson Development is a Guangzhou developer founded back in 1992. Uh, They're involved in residential, commercial property investment, as well as property management and infrastructure. So that means they're involved in construction as well. Uh, So we are waiting now on the announcement from uh, Evergrande on what this could be about, but it does really sound like uh, they could be selling their property services company a majority stake. Uh, the media have been reporting it could be potentially Hobson Development picking up that stake. We're also continuing to watch Evergrande as uh, last month we had two interest payments, bond interest payments that lapsed. So uh, no updates on that just yet, but a 30-day grace period is underway Uh We look ahead to this month in October, about $181 million in bond interest payments are due. Uh, The first couple of payments on October the 12th, there's going to be three of them on bonds maturing in April 2022. 23 and 24, uh, various amounts from 47 million to as much as 66 million. Uh, then we have an onshore payment due uh, on the 19th of October in the amount of 18.8 million US dollars. And then at the end of the month, October 30th, all of these payments accumulating to a sum of about 181 million US dollars. So we are going to be continuing to watch the developments over at Evergrande. The share suspended from trade in Hong Kong today as we wait on any updates about the company and a potential major transaction. Uh, mainland media reports, again, that Hobson Development is going to be acquiring a 51% stake in Evergrande services for $5.1 billion. We'll wait for confirmation from both of those companies. Reporting from Hong Kong, back to you guys. Terrific, Emily. Thank you so much for keeping us abreast of the details there. Let's have a look at uh, uh, what the markets are worried about then, because um, the feeling, it seems to me, as far as Evergrande is concerned, the Chinese authorities have got this contained. We'll have to wait and watch and see what ultimately unfolds over coming days. But the fact that we've got Chinese markets closed effectively for the week uh, takes some of that existential risk off the table. Of course, worth pointing out, though, uh, Evergrande traded in Hong Kong, which is why Emily gave us chapter and verse on it. Um, a quick look at the uh, U.S. Uh, market wall here. Uh, just worth pointing out to you, even as that wall suggested uh, some positivity and momentum coming into the trading session this week. Uh, We did see for September the worst monthly performance, I think, since September 2020. Uh, But we are only, I think, 5% away from recent all-time highs. Now, Rod's running ahead of me a little bit here, so I'll try and catch up with him. Let's go to that Treasury wall. And this really is the focus, I think, as far as investors' um, serious thoughts about interest 
interest rates are concerned. What exactly is happening with the Treasury curve here? And where do we go on this 10-year note? We've slipped back below the point. Five level in terms of the 10-year yield. So we've seen a little bit of buying of 10-year uh, notes, but the market will be continuing to look at commentary from Federal Reserve presidents to find out or get a sense of what happens next year. I have to tell you, uh, I'm increasingly seeing more positive calls for the short term on what happens early on as we go into October. Uh, Longview Economics out with uh, their note, I think, at the end of last week, suggesting they now think their indicators are pointing to buy signals. Of course, October, though, it's a tricky month, isn't it? Just like September, history is not necessarily always kind to the equity investor in October. The early opening calls here in Europe, let's have a quick look, Rodney. Uh, as you can see, we are broadly called higher to the start of the European trading session. And of course, we'll, we'll get out to Karen uh, a little bit later on uh, to talk about that supermarket deal here in the UK, what it ultimately means for the retailers, the supermarkets listed on the FTSE 100 and whether there is a read across to other opportunities for private equity in the blue chip space here in the UK. So let's get you an early call on market direction and where you should be investing. Didier Dure is uh, chairman of Omega Wealth Management. Uh, and given the CNBC market, it looks like he's coming to us from our own kitchen, but that is not the case, Didier. Very good morning to you. Nice to see you. Uh, so give, a, give us an early call then. How do you feel about markets and opportunity in equities in October? Yes. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, the thing... We have just finished the third quarter, and the important element now is how, what is the escape route out of the stagflation corner we were during summer? And uh, we have, you know, little visibility on China, although the Evergrande story is panning out less dramatically. Uh, we have also, uh, let's say, a lot of issues on the inflation, which is rather stubborn. But the ray of light really comes from the U.S., because we see better data, and it was the case last Friday, and the better data than expected are just turning up the expectation of, uh, let's say, economic surprise. And we know that economic surprise are very much correlated with the stock market direction. So this is really a ray of hope for the economic uh, front. Now, if we turn to the inflation dimension, I think this, this is a very difficult place for the central bankers because we, we have really the energy dog in the inflation China shop. And it's a really a, a, a very difficult moment for them because it goes longer to come back to the base effect. We have possibilities of second round effect and even third round effect on, on inflation. So this is pretty, uh, let's say, the, 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 the element that is a bit risky, but it has been discounted to a large extent by the bond market. And in a form of paradox, you know, the fact that we have higher inflation means that we have really very negative rates on the, on the US curve. And this is good for investing outside the fixed income space. So let's talk about uh, some of the individual stories that you like. Um, Europe vs. United States sectors, what do you fancy for October? 
Europe remain at an advantage because we have quite some volatility on the growth stocks on, in the IT sector. And we have to keep in mind that really Europe is really outperforming its own history in terms of growth. We have a pace of around 4%, which is absolutely unprecedented uh, in Europe. And more importantly for the investor in the equity market, the equity risk premium, if we measure that with the cyclically adjusted price earning, is about double what we have in the US. So we prefer Europe. And within Europe, it includes also the UK. UK is very strong into the small and medium cap sector, as well as Germany. So we like that very much because solving the bottlenecks go through the small and small and medium-sized companies. And solving the bottlenecks is good for growth and also good for seeing lower inflation later. So it's something that we like very much, the, the small and medium cap co companies. But within the geography, we like the pigs. We like, we like you know, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and even Greece to a certain extent. Because, for instance, the financial sector is really in a good place in this area. And so this is something that we are, uh, let's say, uh, focusing on these days. Didier, lovely to see you this morning. Um, you say in your notes that emerging is still in a quagmire and concerns about the stronger yeah. dollar, high US treasuries, lower corporate profitability as well. Is this going to get a lot worse, sir? I think the configuration of strong US volatility on US treasuries is re and low profitability. You know, the emerging market space has lower profitability than developed markets. So this is really where we are now. In the future, what should tip the, uh, let's say the balance there is the US Treasury. If US Treasury comes a bit lower from the one point fund that we have, this will be a recuperation game for the, for the emerging market. But the important element in the emerging market is huge dispersion. Look, it's really caused by the, the shock on commodity. Uh, you know, if you look at the difference between India, which is a huge commodity uh, consumer, and Russia, a producer, so there is a huge divergence between these countries. So it's for the investor rather difficult to play on the individual countries or even names. Uh, buying an ETF is probably the best thing to do on, on emerging market. But, you know, we might see a turning point once the inflation game is probably behind us. So it takes a, lot, a little bit of time to see a recuperation. How, how can we have the inflation game behind us when we're virtually at $80 a barrel on Brent, 79 with a bit of change yeah. this morning, uh, Didier as well? And, and you talk about the diversion. Uh, we're not just talking about India here. We're talking about Japan. We're talking about yeah. China. We're talking about all the consuming nations having extraordinarily high fuel bills. And I don't see at the moment how they're going to go lower. Of course, I, I agree totally with you. I think, uh, as I said at the very beginning, we are in the phase where we have second round effect and even third round effect. And the danger for inflation now is that it's not anymore a supply shock. The longer we stay with a higher, higher oil price, the more detrimental will it will be to control the demand side of the market. The, the, uh, let's say the employees will request more wage. Look at Germany, IG Metal has put the mark above the 4% and so on and so forth. So it's rather important to have very credible central bankers uh, in these days, and more hawkishness is probably the, the tone that we should hear from the central bank. Really good to catch up, Didier. Thanks for joining us on our first program of the week. Didier Dure, chairman of Omega Wealth Management. 
plenty coming up on the show. I'm live in Acton as we cover the takeover battle for the UK's fourth largest grocery chain, Morrison's. CDNR emerging triumphant over the weekend after a bidding process behind closed doors. We'll be right back after this. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Well, Clayton de Billion Rice are set to take over UK supermarket chain Morrison's in a £10 billion deal, including debt. The New York-based private equity firm triumphed against SoftBank-backed investment group Fortress in an auction on Saturday. CDNR's bid of 287 pence per share beat the Fortress bid by just one penny. Uh, Morrison's board has already recommended the offer to shareholders who will vote on the deal on the 19th of October. Now, I've got to let you all into a secret. When someone said to Karen Cho this weekend, can you cover Morrison? She thought, brilliant, Scott Morrison. It's very me. I know all about Australian politics. I'm on it. Unfortunately, it's, it's not Scott Morrison, is it, Karen? It's Morrison's. But at least they've sent you to a very glamorous location. Is it, is it the Morrison's at Acapulco? Is it Monaco? Is it Athens? Tell us where you are. Let's hope so down the track with uh, further expansion plans, Steve. But no, I'm in Acton, uh, West London at this point, and we are covering this story. It's been an important one for the UK because of the, the fierceness of the takeover battle that's played out in the public arena, the sale of another UK asset, um, whether this is constituting a raid on UK assets at this point, but also certain hurdles to cross around pension schemes and a very deep integrated supply chain. Don't forget Morrison's is a grocery store that fed the nation during the pandemic. It's very significant when we talk about the UK backdrop. But let's talk about the weekend and what played out because we had this very fierce bidding war that went on for about four months with about four bids offered back to back. Eventually, the UK regulator, the takeover regulator, was called in to supervise a process on Saturday where the best bids were offered from CDNR and Fortress. They really had about five rounds to come up with the best bids, but it felt as though much of the firepower had really been uh, fired before this process on Saturday. It was done and dusted by just after midday, and really we crept ahead with the highest bid, just 1p per share more than the other bids. So 287p per share is what we got to on the CDNR bid. This is up from the 286 that uh, Fortress had offered, and only just 2p above the original last offer on the table back in August. I think many had hoped we would go a little bit more aggressive than that in the bidding process over the weekend. The share price had climbed to 296p per share in the Friday session. So you may see a revision back today on the back of this process. Also uh, worth noting what happens from here. CDNR has been supervised all along by the former Tesco CEO, Sir Terry Leahy. He was very instrumental in the rapid expansion you saw over at Tesco. He is now in the running to become chairman of the group. 
Also, there had been a commitment along the way from CDNR that they would keep current management. So the current CEO is expected to stay on board. And that's a very interesting thing when you talk about Sir Terry Leahy's skill set. He's seen as very good at buying, very good at marketing, whereas the current CEO, David Potts, is very strong on uh, his organisational skills and attention to detail. So uh, they are thought to possibly make up a fairly good team. Uh, but of course, there's been a lot of movement in the grocery business of late. And over at Asda, on the back of a recent sale, there's also an opening there for CEOs. So whether the, the management team of Morrison stays intact, that's a big question for the market. But I want to touch on the deep integrated supply chains that Morrison's offer. A very deep farm system, a lot of food processing. They put a lot of their own food on the shelves rather than relying on others. And this has been a question as to whether private equity has simply just come in and buy a very strong property portfolio. About 90% of the stores are owned by Morrisons itself. Whether the PE group would come in, buy it, sell those property assets and just lease back and unlock all that value and give that to their own investors. But there have been very strong commitments made along the way here. CDNR actually has mixed form on both fronts. Uh, in the United States, it did that very process and was accused of laying up uh, a waste management company with debt and leaving it almost on the verge of bankruptcy. But here in the UK, it has been committed to B&M, which it bought in recent years, put Sir Terry Leahy in charge of that business and has helped expand it. And there are hopes that on the positive side, that's what it will be doing with Morrisons here, that it will be investing in the business, that it will be supporting our current staff. There's been a commitment around the pension scheme as well. The uh, group CDN are putting up property, pledging property towards that pension scheme that has uh, more than 80-odd thousand current and former staff on the defined benefit scheme. So there have been a lot of hurdles here to cross and it's hoped that it will do the right thing when it comes to keeping that extensive footprint, paying frontline staff £10 per hour and strengthening the pension scheme. But of course, as we know in the past, these are commitments that can be made, but there's no binding agreement down the track. So all bets are off as to what happens here. When it comes to the expansion, don't forget this is a business where you've seen huge pandemic trends. Those pandemic buying trends are flipping back to more normal patterns, but there's hope that there's further expansion, perhaps through CDNR's existing fuel petrol portfolio, tapping into the convenience store there, but also short form delivery of groceries. And uh, just a final point here, shareholders still need to approve this offer. Karen, since you've become the uh, UK supermarket correspondent, apparently, can we expect to see you in a car park in, Mor uh, in Sainsbury's at some point? Uh, where does this leave the Fortress Group? Obviously, they, they wagered a lot on this potential Morrison's bid, and it's going to cost them a lot. But might they try and cut their losses, perhaps, by taking a run at Sainsbury's? It's a good point, isn't it? Because uh, Fortress, at the end of the day, wasn't willing to overpay for this asset. We saw that in the bidding process, very disciplined approach. And it has commented since then, it still sees deep value in UK assets. So potentially, and if you look at the share price performance uh, while this bidding war was playing out, the market was casting its eyes back over at Sainsbury's direction to see whether there was potential there for a buyer to enter the fray. So there, there is a, a prospect that that possibly may happen. So I guess we waited and we see, uh, given that it's first up Asda that was sold, now you've had Morrison's uh, in the process. So you'd have to take a look at Sainsbury's, wouldn't you, if you're a betting person at this stage? Terrific. We'll catch up with you a little later on. Stay warm. Karen Cho joining us from Acton in West London, uh, where the bidding war has just been won for Morrison's supermarket group. The US Trade Representative Catherine Tai is expected to announce today that China has 
not complied with the phase one trade deal that was agreed under former President Donald Trump. According to CNBC sources, the U.S. is evaluating potential action against China for breaching the deal, including more tariffs. Under the agreement, China is meant to buy $200 billion worth of additional U.S. goods over a two-year period. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has written to her Democrat colleagues urging them to pass the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill ahead of an October 31st deadline after an extension was approved on Friday. Federal transport workers could be put on furlough if that deadline is missed. Pelosi's letter comes amid divisions and negotiations within the party. Progressive Democrats have pushed to tie the bipartisan infrastructure bill with President Biden's broader $3.5 trillion spending plan. Meanwhile, some of the party's more conservative members oppose the extra spending, including Senator Joe Manchin, who said his top line for the welfare package is $1.5 trillion. Well, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, says he aims to pass both measures this month. We're trying to pass some of the most dramatic, significant legislation to help working families throughout New York and throughout the country that's been done since Franklin D. Roosevelt. It takes a little time. I believe we're on track with both tracks to pass both the bipartisan infrastructure bill as well as the uh, reconciliation Build Back Better bill. And uh, our goal is to get it done in the next month, both bills, and get them passed. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.